weeks ago, I was driving behind a Jeep Wrangler, and I saw this, this sticker, and it came into my mind. It says, don't follow me, you won't make it. Okay, and we all seen stuff like this on the back of a Jeep, right? And you kind of think, wow, they think they're pretty cool, right? But there's this, and I see different things like this with Jeeps, you know? And I, and, you know, I thought about that because in, in my journey of following Christ, um, I think it's taken me almost, I mean, 21 years now, um, I'm finally to the place where when obstacles do come my way, uh, whatever that looks like, I've, I've, uh, I've reached this point now where I can say, okay, God, what's on the other side of this? Okay, and I, I can't wait to see how you're going to get me through it. Okay, and, and I believe that's exactly what we read about in the book of Acts, that the first followers and, and the first church saw these things happening and they had such faith, they were full of such faith and power from the Holy Spirit that they were like, I can't wait to see how we'll get through this. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to be talking about opportunities to shine. And these opportunities, we're always following some kind of obstacle. So the key text is Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. It says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day, in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. This last part is, is you know, the mission for the apostles and for the early church. Jesus is the Messiah. We have to go and tell everybody this. This is what we have been called to do. We've been set apart to get this message out everywhere. And when I was thinking about this, uh, it I just had this, um, this thought, and I wrote it down just early on as I was preparing this. All the dreams that Jesus had for his disciples in the world were starting to come true. That's the book of Acts. All the dreams that Jesus had been sharing with three years of his time on, uh, as his ministry time, Jesus had three years with his disciples pouring into them and pouring out this dream the dream for them and the whole world, and they were just starting to come true. And I think one of the, th one of the things that Jesus said jumped out at me. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You can follow along in your handout. There's some notes there for you. It says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. When Jesus said this, this was very early on when he's saying this to his disciples. You are the light of the world. And these young guys that were just, just figuring out, what they were just starting to hear all this incredible teaching that Jesus was, was starting to pour out on them. And to hear that from them, you are the light of the world. And even today, Jesus is saying that to each and every one of you today. You are the light of the world. If you have Jesus in your life, you are the light of the world. When I was thinking about this, uh, I had to think about, I'd already kind of prepared this message. And then uh, Friday night, I, I was, we were driving back from Lincoln. I was listening to the March Madness game, one of the most historical uh, upsets ever, ever in the tournament 
happened. And I was listening to that, and uh, there's a picture of this, and this was UMBC, which like almost nobody even knew what those letters meant, okay? University of Maryland, Baltimore County, a 16 seed, basically the bottom uh, of, you know, the, the worst rated team in the tournament playing the best rated team, and they beat them, beat them by 20 points. It was just unbelievable what happened. And I listened to the post-game conference and one of the, uh, uh, the press conference, and they were asking the players questions. Some of them were terrible questions, but one of the questions asked the guy, and you know, how did you keep going when you knew it was almost there? And he said, you know, we just wanted to see ourselves in the one shining moment video. That's what I thought. He said, I, we just wanted to see, I think we just wanted to see ourselves. And at the very end of the tournament, there's this little video with all these clips of all these amazing things that happened. He said, we just wanted to see ourselves in that video just for a couple seconds, kind of joking, you know? And when I was, you know, kind of thinking about that, and, and for me, I'm, I get really excited and watching, I was watching my Kansas Jayhawks yesterday and <laughs> I get really excited about basketball and uh, a little bit too excited for my family's liking. I was actually told yesterday while I was watching the game, and I yell a lot during the games, my wife said, maybe you should go over to somebody else's house to watch the game. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay. Uh, so, um, but I, I think when I think about this one shining moment and, and basketball games and, and these highlights, it's, it's this, this song is a little bit cheesy, but fun. But for us though, I believe that God has more than one moment for you to shine. There's more than one moment that he has in front of you to shine. And, and these moments are following obstacles. The things that the enemy would like you to think is a dead end, it's actually the very thing that God's gonna use to help you to shine. It's very, very true. And so just like in the book of Acts, where we have story after story, where the first church is overcoming obstacles in order to shine the light of Christ, there are shining moments all around us. And they usually follow these things that are really tough, the things that we want to just kind of say, uh, I don't think I want to go through this. And so I want to look at four big ideas that are opportunities for us to shine that we can learn that happen in Acts chapter 6. We're going to just kind of weave our way through Acts chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4 first. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, I love that, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should, should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time, we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So the obstacle right here is the multiplication was threatened by unmet needs and the limited capacity of the 12 apostles. This was a regular thing that was happening where widows were, were taken care of by the early church, but there was a barrier. The barrier was a language barrier. And so uh, this unmet need was rising up, and there was these rumblings. And it was all because the limited capacity of 12. 
But when you look at the description of the problem in verse 2 on its own, I think it leads us to a bigger obstacle that we face today. So if we just read it on its own, it says, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. If you read that just on its own, you probably kind of think, wow, you know, they just don't want to do dirty work, maybe, right? This, in this, this food program, this is the little thing over here. We got to be up there teaching everybody. We can't spend our times with this little stuff over here, but I guess it has to be done. Basically, they were saying, hey, we need some Jimmy John's delivery drivers to get out there for us. Who can do this? Get this food out to there. That's what there's this little task. Let's give the little task to the well-respected, promising leaders. Let's give this little thing over here so we can go over here and do the big stuff. And, and this, this idea that there's a lot of, I think what I was, when I was reflecting on this, I think too often, I think the, in our minds we think the big stuff, that's the most important stuff, that we have somebody up here sharing we have somebody up here singing and playing instruments. It's where God wants the shining to happen on the stage. But the reality is, and what we learn from this scripture, is there is a big difference that, that is being made in the little, little tasks. The little things. I want to just share just kind of a personal experience because, um, you know, growing up, I grew up in the church um, and... I mean, I was, my, my mom took me to church every Sunday, and I have a very vivid memory, and I remember back to being a part of the rainbow classroom, the rainbows, and I was a four and five-year-old, and I remember the teacher, her name was Gail, and Gail ha- always had a smile on her face. She actually, um, she had a significant disability, but you would not ever know it if you just looked at the smile on her face. And uh, so I was in that little class, and I, I actually remember uh, being pulled out of the class because I talked too much. That's something I passed down to one of my, one of my kids. And um, I, I even remember I, I'd get in trouble. I was always, my mom would give me like two quarters for an offering. And I would play with my offering. And I was always told, don't play with the offering. And then uh, one day, I actually remember this. I was five years old. And I, I had put it in my mouth and I swallowed a quarter. And... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, not, no surprise that I, I've never been asked to serve as an usher. So, um, I, I mean, just, you know, so, I, I mean, I just remember this, but, you know, it was this little church that I went to in a little classroom with a teacher named Gail that, you know, when I would come back uh, to church as, as a teenager and as a college student and visit every once in a while, she would always come up to me and she'd have a big smile on her face and, and want to give me a hug. She'd say, I remember you in that little class and teaching you. And, and, and you know, I'd kind of roll my eyes, you know, like, oh, okay, okay. And then later on, when I'd go back and I'd see Gail, I realized what a big difference that little classroom and what happened there. And that someone took time to teach just three or four little kids the Word of God. The little things make a big difference. And we can't look at this. And when we look at this passage, we look at this, I think sometimes we need to hear this. We need to understand that the little things that slow down the message are opportunities for people to step up in big ways. 
And folks, I want you to hear this. This is so important for the church, for the message, for the message of the gospel. The little things that slow down the message are opportunities for people to step up in big ways. Because the little things, they're not little to God. Each and every one of you have been given a purpose. You have been given a purpose and a way to shine. And it may not seem like something big, but trust me, all the little things that are happening here at Southridge, the things that you don't see. As I walked in this morning, someone was sitting in the back table back here in an office folding the handout that is in your hands. Right now, we have, we have folks that are teaching in our early childhood Little kids, little lives that God has big plans for that people are sitting there and taking time for them. Doing the little things that will make a big difference. Folks who are making coffee coming here at 7 a.m., the little things, that coffee that some of you could not do without, right? Right? Come on. Cheers with the coffee. Come on. The little things. I was having a a conversation with one of our students um, last Sunday, and she said, you know, uh, God has been speaking to me in memes, and a meme is a picture with, uh, with a little message under it. She said, that's how God speaks to me. I have this picture, and this little, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm digging it. So this is for any students. Size matters not. When it comes, you know, the great theologian Yoda, size matters not when it comes to these tasks. We can't overlook them. We can't look at these little things and think, well, God didn't give me a gift to be up here on stage. God didn't give me a gift to stand up here and, and teach like Troy or, 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 or Jay. You know what? God has given you a gift that will make a huge difference, a huge difference when you step up to do the little things. The little things actually make a big difference because after they chose seven leaders, the church, to deliver the food, a task that seems small in comparison to something pretty, something uh, uh, in, in comparison to some of the big things, something pretty cool happened. Look at this in verse seven. So God's message continued to spread. God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased. This is after seven people stepped up to said, we'll take the food. We got this. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. The key to the spreading of the gospel was seven people willing to step up and do the little things. Here's the key question. Are you one of the seven that God is calling, that God has set apart, that wants to serve, that wants to step up? In early childhood, the little task of holding a baby, the little task of helping people make coffee, the little task of maybe just working in their office during the week, the little tasks, the things that you think not much of a big, no, they are big difference makers because when a lot of people step up to do the little things, big things start to happen. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you one of the seven? Right now. Now turn to that person again and say, yes. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God answers those questions for you? You have gifts. God has an amazing plan for your life. 
And it's a part of this mission to get the word out, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, on to verse 8. It says, Stephen, a man, Stephen was one of the seven, okay, that was delivering the food. And it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. This was one of the guys that said, I'll go help deliver food. They selected him and said, oh, yes, I'll do it. They said, Stephen, there's something in you. And up to this point, remember, there's 12, 12 apostles. And I'm sure many in the church thought that God, because I want to just kind of focus on something here. It says, a man full of God's grace and power. And up to this point, people just kind of looked at the 12. There's these 12 apostles, 12 of these guys that are really, really special. And these are the guys that have all the big gifts, and they're the ones full of God's grace and power. And then they added seven more. And then out of that, Stephen steps up. Okay, maybe that's not just 12 that God wants to fill with grace and power. In fact, this, this word, it says full of God's grace. That word is a Greek word that's charis, okay? And that word is also translated as favor. Favor. God's grace. Favor. The obstacle here that I want to just kind of point out is this. Too many people think that God's favor is only for a few people that are God's favorites. Right here, right now, some of you can relate to this. You think that God's special favor is on just a few people. Just, you know, God really, really likes that person. God, God really has favor for somebody who's maybe a pastor, you know? God has favorites for those who are really, really successful and they got the job and they got the perfect job and the perfect life. God really has favor over that person. This misconception, this idea, the lucky ones, they're the blessed ones. And some of you have, are fighting this idea and it is an obstacle in your journey with Christ. This idea, they're the ones that are blessed and it's just little old me over here. God might remember me, but I want to just shatter that. And I, you know, I had this, I had this story in my mind when I was thinking about this of uh, the first year we were in Omaha, when we moved here to plant a church, we had went to an Omaha, it, it wasn't the Storm Chasers, maybe it was the Royals or the Spikes or something game. And it was at the old Rosenblatt. Okay. Anybody remember old Rosenblatt? It's not there anymore. Yeah. Right. And and I went there, and they have this little thing during like the seventh inning stretch where a car goes rolling around. And anybody see this, where you throw those balls to try to get them? So I had gotten one of these balls into the sunroof, into the truck or the car or whatever. And they called me back for the last game of the season and said, hey, we've invited 25 people that threw one of those balls in, and everybody's going to be given a key, and you're going to go out onto the field and see if you win a car. I was like, I'll be there. And so, uh, so we went there after the game was over and I think they did the fireworks and they said, okay, now the line is all up and they, you reach in, you grab a key and we lined up 25 people. I was right in the middle and, you know, just one by one, it came up to me. I went in, it was a Dodge Neon. Woo, come on. And, 
I was excited, and I put, put that key in, and I didn't, I didn't win. And we went all the way through, and it got up to the 25th person, and this guy was like, yes, it's me. And he went out, and, and it didn't turn. And, and it was like the most anticlimactic moment, you know. So we all wrote down on a piece of paper our name, and they put it in a bowl, and they, it was just it was silly. But they, they pulled out a guy's name, and it wasn't me. And this guy was celebrating and got in with it. It was him and his girlfriend. They got in the car and they did a little victory lap. They got to ride around. And then, you know, my wife and I are kind of disappointed. We're leaving the ballpark. And as we're leaving, the guy in the Dodge Neon pulls out in front of us, honking his horn and yeah! And my wife, uh, I just, I'll never forget. I mean, my wife just really kind heart. And she was like, oh, you know, God, you know, that person probably needed more than we did or something really nice. And I'm sure I said something like, it was rigged, the whole thing, you know, it was rigged, you know. But I think, you know, that image, when I was thinking about this, this idea that some of us, I think, have, some of you here today, you struggle with this, this guy honking his horn, driving, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not one of the lucky ones, and I'm not blessed, and I'm not one of God's favorites. And I'm here to tell you, if you have Jesus Christ, that's just not true. That's just not true. In Luke chapter, uh, first, the big idea that comes with this, God only favors those who have received his one and only son. In Luke chapter 2, Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also wrote wrote Acts, says this about Jesus. There the child, Jesus, grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. That word favor is the same word that we find in Acts. That cares, that grace. God's favor was on him. Why is this significant? This is significant because maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here far from God. And you're wondering, how, how, does this, how does this work? How does this work? God's grace, God's favor. Maybe you were watching as people were worshiping and singing. You're like, man, why are people, people so happy? Why are people you know, so excited on that stage with all this messed up world around us? What do they have that I don't? This right here, this favor, this grace, that God wants to fill every person with is available to anyone who receives his son. When I came to know Christ 21 years ago, the verse that I first memorized was Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives within me. The same favor that was on Jesus when you receive him is dropped into your heart and life. That same favor the, the favor that God wants to give you begins to rest on your life. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what the Father has lavished upon us, what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called a child of God, a child of the one true King. If you have received Christ into your life, that favor, you are blessed God wants to fill you with that grace overflowing so that you would know that you are a child of God. 
I want to encourage you to embrace the favor and grace that it, embrace this that is upon you. God wants to fill you with this grace and power, the same that we're reading about. He wants to fill you so that you can spill out onto others. So that idea, that misconception, that, that idea that maybe you might have here today, and some of you do, you look around and you say, they're the lucky ones. They're the blessed ones. Those are the ones that God likes. And, he, and, and then there's just little old me. It's not true. It's not true. God favors those who have received his, only one, his one and only son. Embrace this favor. I want to keep reading here in verses 9 through 14. It says, but one day, I should remember that phrase, but one day, some men from the synagogue, the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, and Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses hand down, handed down to us. Now the obstacle here, okay, just what's happening here, this is a beginning of what Troy is going to talk about next week, okay? Uh, this opposition that's coming against Stephen, against the early church, the enemies. But the obstacle, actually, I believe, is in the first five words. The phrase, but one day some men. But one day some men. You know, it's really interesting what I believe God's kind of been birthed in me and then confirmed over the last couple days. You know, as I was praying over this message and on Friday, this phrase, but one day, just kept sticking in my mind and my heart. And then Troy shared something at our Saturday morning prayer yesterday, and it was the same thing about this, but one day. I believe the obstacle for some of you is one day. One day of your life. One day as you look back. One day some pain started. One day a bill arrived. One day you had a massive disappointment. One day an addiction started. One day some type of abuse started in your life. One day you lost your job. One day your marriage started to fall apart. One day you got a report from the doctors. One day. But one day. When I was asking the Lord yesterday, what's the one day for some people out there? Because I had started this list. For some of you, the big word is regret. One day. You made a mistake in your life and you are living that one day every single day. The big idea I want to share with you for anybody that's struggling with regret or any of these things that I've named or the things I haven't named is this. Your one day doesn't have to become your every day. Your one day 
does not have to become your every day. Your one day is an opportunity for Jesus to shine his light on your life and the life of others. How? The answer is in the next verse. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Nothing could stand against Stephen. Nothing. None of the lies were going to stick. None of the lies were going to knock him off what God had put in his heart to share. Because Stephen didn't stand alone. He didn't stand there alone. The key question I want to share, I just ask right now, are you standing alone? Are you trying to walk through this life? Are you trying to go through these obstacles by yourself? Are you standing alone? I'm sure Troy could, could confirm what I'm about to share, which is, you know, in about almost 20 years of ministry, I can honestly tell you that through counseling folks that were going through difficult times, listening to people's journeys, listening to people who have been through difficult times, I've never once had somebody share with me, you know what, I just went through one of the most difficult times in my life, and now everything's better because all by myself... This is how I got through it. All by myself, standing alone, I finally got through that difficult patch in my marriage. All by myself, I sat down and I worked really hard and I figured it all out. I have yet to have someone share that with me. What I have heard, what I have heard is people share about how one day almost wrecked their life, but then God, but then God, but then God through his Holy Spirit started to do an amazing work in my life. But then God comforted me. Then God spoke to me. But then God put people around me. My one day didn't become my every day. I want to encourage you. I want to implore upon you. If you're here and up to this point, the one day has become your every day. That today, everything could change. Today, everything could change if you would say, Lord, I want you to lead me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Stephen, full of grace and power that was not his own. Would you lead me through this? Would you lead me through this from this point forward? Would you surround me with people we talk about life groups here a lot. The reason why we do is there is power in relationships and it matters that you don't go through it alone because one day, that one day begins to surround you, begins to knock you down when you don't have the support of the Holy Spirit and when you don't have the support of others. I encourage you, I encourage you to embrace the Holy Spirit and the power of relationships. Okay, the last verse here that I want to just point out to you is verse 15, the last verse that was kind of the inspiration for this idea of opportunities, opportunities to shine. It says, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. 
Wow. Wow. Now, now, now we know Stephen's not by himself. No doubt. Could you imagine that scene? That he began to shine like an angel. I believe God wants that for all of us. He wants us to really shine. That people begin to stare and look at us and say, wow, there's something different. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I want to know, what is it inside you that's shining? What is this? You know, next week, uh, oh, wait, I jumped ahead here a little bit. Uh, the obstacle here, though, that I want to point out is darkness was surrounding Stephen. Darkness was surrounding Stephen. And I was thinking about this uh, a few days ago in West Omaha, there was a massive power outage. Okay, there's 1,000, 1,500 people without power. And I thought about this for times when, you know, at night, we're going to get into these thunderstorms. And when the power gets knocked out, what do you go do? What do you go look for? Flashlight, right? You got to go look for a light. You go look for a light. When the darkness hits, your home is dark, pitch black, there's no light. I got to go find, where, where do we leave the flashlights? We need light. And you're searching for that. There are people all around that are in darkness and they are searching for a light. They're searching for that same brilliant light that was happening with Stephen. They're looking for people that are shining. I believe that can be us. I believe that's what God wants for each and every one of you to be full of grace and power and shining on people around you. And the opportunity here is that when darkness begins to surround you, God is preparing you for a moment to shine. He is preparing you. I think too often, too often, darkness begins to surround us. And our reaction isn't, it is, man, we got to go and get away from this darkness. I got to get away from this. I got to get away from these people and my work. And yes, there is value to being set apart in what, what Scripture talks about being holy. But also, also sometimes this stuff is happening. The people that you're at work with and, and the people in your neighborhood, the people maybe in your family that you're saying, these folks are, are the, the darkness. Maybe, just maybe, God has put you there as a light. And those people that may be driving you crazy, those people that, are, that, that seem like, man, what is going on with them? God has placed you strategically to be like Stephen in that moment, to be a light, to shine. You know, and, and, and I say all this because what's really cool about this scene and what's, what's happening and what we know is going to happen, and Troy will talk about this. I'm not going to spoil it too much for next week, Okay. Troy's going to give you the rest of the story of Stephen. But amongst the men questioning Stephen, and, and, and a part of this was a man named Saul, a man who was persecuting Christians, a man who was all about this message about Jesus. We got to suppress this. We got to stop this. And here he is, Saul, this man that would soon become Paul, a man who was transformed 
and then become one that was full of grace and power and write almost half of the New Testament. And in the book of Philippians, there's a little scripture that I was reminded of when I saw this passage, when I was looking at this and thinking about opportunities to shine. And it's Philippians chapter two, verse 15. It says, but you are living with people all around you who have lost their sense of what is right. Among those people, you shine. You shine like lights in a dark world. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. Not that we would go running away from the darkness, but that sometimes God is asking you to stand and shine like a light. I wonder if Paul had Stephen in mind when he wrote this, his face shining like an angel. Are you looking for a light? If you are in darkness right now and you don't have Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. He is the light of the world and he will transform your life. But if you're here today and you know Christ, I want to encourage you. If you know Christ and he is in your life, you are the light. In the darkness that is around you, you are the light. The things that you think are obstacles, I got to get away from that. It's time to start walking through it and believing God has you placed strategically to shine. It's time to step up. It's time to embrace his favor on your life. It is time to leave one day behind. It's time for you to shine. If you will, bow your, bow your heads for just a moment. I want to close out in, in prayer. First of all, if you're here today and you are in darkness and you do not know Christ, you are far from God. The idea of shining right now, you don't even know how can I do that when I don't know God, when I'm so far from him. Well, it starts with you stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ today that you would receive Jesus, the son of God who died on the cross for your sins and mine, that you may have life and life abundantly. That starts today for you. If you would agree with this prayer, it is a simple yet significant step that you would agree in this moment. I encourage you, if that's you, if you are in darkness, to agree with this prayer. That means that you would say it just quietly right there at your seat. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again on the third day. And I want you in my life. I want you to change my life from this day forward. I receive you, Jesus, the light of the world. I'm ready to be your light. And, and just a moment right now, for those of you who are here today, and one day has become your every day, and today is the day for freedom, that you're no longer stuck in one day. Today is that day. And right now you need Jesus to break those chains. To break the regret, to break the, re the shame, to break the depression, to break the addiction, that today would be that day. And if that's you and you say, I want today to be the last day of that one day, just raise up your hand and say, that's me. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, I see your hand. Yes, 
In Jesus' name, Lord, I am thankful that you know every detail of what happened in the past, but God, that you would lead them into the future, shine the light on that future. In Jesus' name, amen.